about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Dylan, do you have debt? I do. It's like 1.3 times the amount of American debt, right? I'm not sure the conversion, but uh, it is expensive student debt. Well, Dylan, if you have debt, I have the job board for you. Dwindle. It's the first job board aimed at helping solve the student loan debt crisis. Job seekers can sign up for free. They can get a free resume critique. And they start applying for jobs that will help them with the student loan crisis. If you have debt, dwindles the board for you. If you're a recruiter, like some of us on the podcast are, you can find job seekers there too. So what I'm asking you to do today, before you listen to this podcast, go to dwindlestudentdebt.com. Post your resume, post a job, see how Dwindle can help you. They also help you connect with people who provide tuition assistance. So if you have a job and still need tuition assistance, Dwindle can help you out there. Again, that's dwindlestudentdebt.com, D-W-I-N-D-L-E, studentdebt.com. Go dwindle down that debt, go Irish, beat debt. So Notre Dame kind of takes care of Purdue. Close game leading into the fourth quarter. Scored some late points, but I do think that final scoreline was reflective of the game. P, and we don't have Steve with us here today, by the way, folks. He is getting, or he's been married and he's doing wedding stuff. So it's just me and P Wagon. What do you think of that football game? How did that go? And uh, were you satisfied with the performance? Well, <clears throat> kind of. So I, I've talked to a lot of people about this game. It, was close, but it never felt close. And I don't know if I'm crazy in saying that. I say that about the Toledo game, and that was the closest, and the Florida State game. But yeah, Notre Dame has a a way to to kind of calm you as they're playing a tight game. But I think especially for Purdue, uh, I think you're right there. I mean, you look at the scoreline. It was 10-3 going into halftime with points left on the board. It was 13 to 17 going in the third quarter. That was the closest it was. And then they scored 10 more in the, uh, the fourth to pull away 27-13. It was close. It was a two-touchdown game. They covered the spread. But it, it, it never felt like we were out of it at all because we knew what we had. And Purdue is Purdue. It's not like they're world beaters. So I was never worried about the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought... I had said from the account, it was pretty much the scoreline we expected, but I felt Notre Dame played way better than Steve and I thought they would. Uh, we, predict, we predicted like a 27-20 game that was bad and that we barely escaped. It was a 27-13 game that we kind of controlled the whole time. Um, obviously, the offense has a lot of issues. Some of it is just timing. Um, you know, like you could have similar stat lines and end up scoring 35 or scoring 17. You know, we, we've been a little unlucky. We've left points on the board. I think the offensive line improved, um, but it wasn't like we didn't get have pressure on us, and it's not like Cone did a great job dealing with that pressure. So there are there are holes to fix. 
What I like is kind of what we predicted, which would be a, a continuation of the defense gelling and settling in. I thought this was a phenomenal performance from the defense. Um, yeah, gave up some some yards early, but Clark Lee's defenses did the same. Um, I thought they were good when they needed to, and uh, they stopped a really good passing attack. And that's what's surprising is that but, Purdue is a, is a high-end offensive, or th- at least throwing the ball. And we limited them pretty well, and uh, I mean, I have some theories on to why. Um, but I, I was content with that performance. It's not what it should have been still. I think Notre Dame should still beat them by three touchdowns. But we're getting back. I, we're, it's not the one game that puts us our, our feeling back into the college football playoff as if we had hope. But it puts it gets us closer to there. We're you know I think we're a win against Wisconsin away from feeling that like this is a playoff team again, and that's a positive sign. I needed that sign going into Wisconsin, so I knew this team had some had some fight in them. And you look at the stat line for that plumber cat. He had 187 yards and he completed 25 of his 36 passes. Two of them were interceptions. So of those 11 he missed, he nine were just bad balls. And then you look at Cone, he went 15-30 for 223 and two. So he completed 50% of his balls for 223 yards. If Ian Book did that, and, and this is where I'm pissed off, and this is a PSA to the Notre Dame faithful or whatever you want to call them, these chicken little people. If Ian Book completed 15 passes and threw for 225 yards, they would be anointing him the second coming in Joe Theismann. Because Jack, Cohn, because Jack Cohn does it, and oh, he's not mobile, they shit on this kid. I get, I get that TB12 is the future. We can see that be, of how he plays, and that stiff arm being delivered in the first half was nasty. So, yes, he's the future. But Jack Cohn is Jack Cohn. He is a game manager. And if you're a Patriot fan out there, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for this statement. Tom Brady won six Super Bowls being a game manager. Jack Cohn is the same type of quarterback. I was talking to my best man, Chris, because I am getting married this weekend. Uh, so the horsemen are two for two in weddings. But... We were saying that Jack Cohn is going to make it to the league, maybe third, fourth, or fifth round. He's going to be behind uh, Tom Brady. He might be on the Packers staff. He, he might be somewhere where they don't need a mobile quarterback who can just stand there and throw. Jack Cohn can stand and throw, but as soon as you need him to do anything else, he's too tall to be as mobile as we need him to be. I still think he has lacrosse feet. I still think he's sneaky fast when he has to be. But other than that, he wants to get the ball down the field, and we could talk all about coaching with that. He wants to go vertical. He doesn't want to scramble like Ian Book did for you know a five-yard out, and I'm fine with that. We've had quarterbacks in the past who can stretch the field vertically and then say, fuck all horizontally. So I find it interesting because I think the same subsection of fans who never gave Book credit and were the first to jump on him are the same people who are criticizing Cohn for not being Ian Book. Because what I see is a lot of criticism and a lot of early, like, impatience. People aren't patient with Cohn. If the, if certain people, you know what I mean? If they have that bias, they're just waiting for Cohn to miss a pass, and then it comes out. You saw that in the first game in Florida State. We ended up having a phenomenal game. Uh, you were seeing the ND fans say the same thing. And it's, it's interesting because the complaints are he's not mobile, he's not escaping. Well, Book did that, and Book also never tested the ball downfield like Cone did. And Cone can be more than a game manager. That's what he is. But he can be more than that because he's got a big arm, and he's fairly accurate. Uh, I thought today, or last game at least, was um, 
he could have been a lot better. He missed a lot of throws I don't think he normally would have missed. Uh, like five of them were to Kevin Austin. Um, but I don't think he played poorly. I think he did all right. He did what was necessary. He needs to get better. The last two weeks have been step downs from Florida State, although Florida State has since lost to Wake Forest and Jackson State. So it's not um, it's not like Florida State was maybe the big team we thought they were. Right. Um, but Cone needs to be better, yes. But Cone isn't just some bum. This is a good quarterback that we have behind, uh, you know, lining up under center. And so little bat story on me, even though I don't give my government name out. I coached quarterbacks for four years. I was a quarterback coach. I was a kicking coach. I was an offensive specialist. It might have been high school, but football is football. With his finger, it was the middle finger on his throwing hand. Dislocating that, you're going to have swelling. So I'm not a hand doctor. Surprise to anyone who's heard me talk before. That finger is very important to throwing the ball. He still had the spiral. He did not have the control that he needed or the touch he had against Florida State or the touch he had against Toledo. When you look at that and how he was throwing, some of those either underthrown balls or overthrown balls was just because the touch wasn't there. I know this is an audio podcast, but when you throw a ball, when you're throwing down, this middle finger really provides all that spin because inherently you're coming back here. That finger puts all the spin and all the control where you want that ball to go. You can have one without the other. So it, it really comes down to his finger being, you know, not good. And he, he, he dislocated it. Like It's going to take time to heal. I, I do hope that's the case uh, because, it, again, it was a fine performance, but it wasn't what I would have liked to have seen. He has a chance, though, to... I think take a step forward and he'll be highly motivated for it because obviously Notre Dame's playing Wisconsin this week, um, his former team. That's going to be in, an interesting performance. And I think a lot will come down to the offensive line. Um, I am not, and obviously we'll do the preview in a bit, but look, I'm not expecting to power run the, the ball against Wisconsin. This is a game where we're going to struggle to run the ball. The good news is, is that it's a game where we can absolutely annihilate them in the air. And uh, I think we got to avoid getting sucked into their game because they're just better, at least offensive line. I won't say they're better in the trenches because our defensive line is, is you know, ridiculously good. Um, but the offensive line will be key. And it's key for Cone and it's key for, you know, the running backs. And um, it's something that I, I want to see more improvement from because I feel like we're just a better offensive line away from being in the same spot we were last year with perhaps an even more explosive offense, which we've seen glimpses of. Um, yeah. So is there anything there that you disagree with or you can yeah. seen it the same way? So I disagree with offensive line take and it's not you. It's all three of us being on the horseman podcast account really throws people for a loop because we all disagree at some point with each other. The offensive line's the offensive line. You're not going to have, you're replacing what an entire NFL caliber offensive line with Jarrett Patterson, who I'm not high on at center. You have a third string tackle. I, I have issues with him just because his snaps suck and I'm a former center. So th there's things that I have to deal with and I have to go to therapy for it. But you have a, you have a third string tackle. You have a guard who is good enough to play in the NFL. You have Jarrett Patterson, who's going to be 
probably cut from a 53 man roster when he makes it to the NFL seventh. You know, you know, you know, he's projected to be the highest drafted center, right? Yeah. And and I disagree with that because I, I can see things on tape. You, you don't snap the ball into your own ass and. Oh, that's fine. People think he's good. I am well aware what people think and I disagree with them. Then you have our Marshall uh, transfer who you haven't heard shit from because he's doing his job. He, no one said his name because he's doing his job. And then you have the other offensive tackle. This is a piecemealed offensive line. No one should expect them to be world beaters when you replace an entire offensive line in the league. So mm-hmm. they're doing what they have to do. Would it be nice if we had, you know, the Malik Cunningham from Louisville back there running around all over the place, Matt Corral, who can throw the ball down the field, but also run? Yes, but we don't have that. So you have to manage your own expectations and know what we have. And if we can't run the ball, start figuring out how to get to the outside. Because obviously, when we're inside those tackles, it's a problem. Unless Tyron Williams is going to beat off eight different men to get a 51-yard touchdown. That's the only way it can happen. So we can't run inside anymore, but that's fine. Auburn won a national championship with Cam Newton never run inside the tackles. So, Yeah, but I also think that, and perhaps you would disagree here, but I still feel like the offensive line is not playing up to their caliber. Like, I think even though, yes, we replaced a lot, they're still better than what they've been doing. Like, I still think we can get more out of this offensive line. Yeah. And I think it's improved. And obviously you're dealing with injuries, so it's tough. But I, I have a high standard for even this replaced offensive line for them to still be top 25. You know what I mean? If you just give me a solid uh, pass protection and... I thought the run game got better last game too, and they you noticed more holes being created for for the running backs. You know, if you just give me a little bit more, this offense will be the explosive thing we saw against Florida State. We just we need a little bit more from them, um, and when you pair that with the defense, and I thought Marcus Freeman was excellent in in how he called the game, the personnel he sent out there. I I loved it all. I mean. We'll get into the four horsemen, but there's some defensive players that uh, that played excellently, and one in particular. Um, so, do you, do you want to go into four horsemen, or do you have anything else you want to say about the Purdue game? Uh, just quick on the Purdue game. Purdue game. Tommy Reese is still learning <clears throat> as a coach. He his offense is developing, and you see he's what thirty maybe. I mean, I think me and him are the same age. So, with that. He's still developing as a coach, and it takes a while to develop. So I'm not worried about Tommy Reese. The offensive line is the offensive line. We, if we can deal with it and just get through games, I'm fine with that. I don't want these games to be one-score games going in the fourth quarter anymore. But that's what it's going to be. And if it has to be like that, 12-0 is 12-0. They don't ask you how much you won by. They only ask you how many times you won. So. Yeah, and a perfect example is that other teams are struggling through this too, right? Clemson almost lost to Georgia Tech. Ohio State, despite ended up winning by about 19 points, they were a one-score game into the fourth quarter with Tulsa. Um, Oklahoma, and yes, I get it's a rivalry game and things are a little different, but Oklahoma, who was a preseason favorite to win the national championship, struggled with Nebraska, and Nebraska really could have well, put that Spencer game Spencer Rattler time. also sucks as a quarterback, but that's beside and the point. the most overrated Heisman hype since uh, Matt Barkley, perhaps, yep. you know, 2011. Um, so what you're really dealing with here is a lot of teams struggling in this post-COVID era of putting away teams they should beat. Ohio State 
would never play Tulsa that close. That's not the Ohio State we know. A lot of teams are rebuilding. Alabama arguably should have lost to Florida. Florida played phenomenally well in the second half. Nobody right now in college football looks good. And the fact that we've avoided a loss, and I said this last week, our issues are fixable. You can't fix a loss. I'm glad we're 3-0. This is the week where the money's on the line. I believe this is the second best team we'll play, and I think it's the toughest game we'll play because it's neutral site. There's only 33 teams left in the entire nation that are undefeated. Notre Dame is one of those 33. So, And two of them reside in the state of Michigan, and we know they're good for a few losses anyway. So now before we get into the horsemen, and I think that's a natural segue because fuck Michigan, uh, do want to talk to you guys about listener support. Uh, Dylan, Steve, and I take time out of our day to do these podcasts, to send off the tweets, uh, really just to make sure you guys are informed of the comings and goings of Notre Dame football and whoever we're playing that week. Uh, so all we ask of you, take a look at our listener support tab. It is our pinned tweet on Twitter. Uh, there's a couple different levels. It's almost like a, a Patreon of, sh- of sorts. Uh, if you like what we're doing on here, drop a dollar, drop $5, $10, and we'll keep putting out this content. The uh, the more the support happens, the the more stuff we can do. There's some, some big things in the future. So uh, just want to plug that before we get into our Horseman of the Week. That's that's perfectly said. And, you know, I know you and Steve have, you know, careers and I'm I'm in law school like we're busy people. So it it, it means a lot to us to have this support um, so we can keep providing high quality content. Um, as far as four horsemen go, we kind of streamlined it this week. I picked two P wagon picked two. Um, so P, I'll let you list your two guys first and then then I'll do mine. All right. So my two goes without saying who they are. You you know one of the two already. Uh, but Avery Davis, five catches, 120 yards and a touchdown. Uh, had a long of 62 and averaged uh, 24 yards a catch. Uh, really with him, him being the leading receiver behind Kyron Williams, number two for, uh, two for 47, that is good for a converted QB. He is really coming into his own. And he's someone that Cone can trust. It's almost like uh, Book with uh, Skoranek last year. Uh, he found someone he can trust, and he knows he's going to throw it to him. I was surprised that Michael Mayer only had one target for five yards, but I guess that was more scheme, uh, scheme-wise. But Avery Davis stepped up where we needed him to, uh, the big 120 yards there. And then from there, uh, Jay Bramblett. Bramblett for Heisman. Uh, Bramblett for the... Ray Guy Award. He went seven for 298, averaged 42.6 yards a punt, 52 yard long, two inside the 20, one that backed up uh, Purdue onto their half inch line. He, he's bombing the ball. And it may be when you look at like punt leaders in the country right now, he might not be the top punter, but he's the top punter in my head. So that's and all that in your heart. And in my heart, I love you, Jay. Your family's phenomenal. Shout out Mike and Amy. And uh, really, he changed the game where it had to be changed. If you can get someone inside their 20, they've got 80 yards to go. That That's all I got. Jay, for almost 300 yards of punting, is a horseman of the week. Yeah, so for our listeners, Jay could, like, shank every punt in a game, and P would still put him as one of his four horsemen. That's just, it's become tradition. Um, for myself, I went with kind of more of the two obvious ones. I went with Kyron Williams. 
I didn't think he actually tore it up in the run game until he broke loose, and that kind of maybe changed people's opinions or how they perceived the game. But where Kyron was very good was in the passing game. And usually, and I know you're not a data guy, but the data would usually suggest that throwing to receivers or to running backs who act as receivers is also inefficient uh, and, and yields less expected points per play. However, Kyron Williams has kind of been the exception this year. Both him and Chris Tyree, the Notre Dame running backs, have performed very well when targeted. And uh, and you saw it there on that beautiful tight window ball cone through. Um, side note, I got an update from like an app from like the score. And it was like, watch Kyron Williams scores a touchdown wide open. And I'm like, he wasn't wide open. That was the most covered <laughs> player on the field. I feel like somebody didn't watch it. Like they just saw him running away and they're like, oh, he was wide open. Anyway, so make sure you do your due diligence, folks, when you're working uh, sports media. Um, but number one horseman for me, and I legitimately think we can actually start a Heisman campaign for him now, it's Kyle Hamilton. He's got three picks in three games, essentially four. One was called back last week. Um, that fourth down play, I even think he took maybe a wrong angle, and he still got there and still wrapped him up. Because I watching that live, I'm like, oh, Kyle missed it, and then he still gets him. And you're like, this kid he, is a – He ran player. 10 yards in two seconds. It, that It's impossibly fast. Yeah, he's explosive. He's bulked up. He's stronger. I find he tackles. He's always been a good tackler, but I find he can he can lay down the hammer even better. Um, and he's become more of a ball hawk than in the past. Like, he's always been good for an interception or two a year. Um, he's just, he gets his hands on the balls or, uh, the, you know, one of the corners will, that's how he got the interception this game. He's just, he's always around the ball. Um, and it, it's an invaluable player to this defense. So I think we could start the Heisman candidate candidacy because Manti Teo, and I know you think this was the most overrated player in Notre Dame history, but he was exactly. a Heisman runner up lar- in large part. And people will talk about the controversy about the fake girlfriend and the, and the grandmother dying. That's not why he was in the Heisman conversation. Like he was genuinely, and whether it was misguided or not, there was hype behind him because Notre Dame was undefeated. And when Notre Dame is the focus of college football, it's a lot easier to get into the Heisman talk. He was the captain. He was supposed to be a high draft pick, but it was the interceptions. He had seven as a linebacker, and that's absolutely crazy. Kyle's got three, and yes, he's playing safety, but he's doing way more than playing safety. He's also in on the tackles. He's on the fourth down stops. I think we can build a conversation for him to be the first defensive Heisman winner since, was it Charles Woodson in 97 with Michigan? Yep. Yep. It could be Kyle Hamilton, and maybe Kyle Hamilton has to start returning kicks, but... (laughs) We got we to gotta mobilize because when Notre Dame has one single candidate, you remember 33 trucking for a few weeks, uh, our boy, Josh Adams, was in the Heisman conversation because we got behind him and because Notre Dame was good. So when Notre Dame is good, whether rightfully or wrongfully, one of their players will get thrown into the Heisman discussion. And I think that is going to be Kyle Hamilton. And I think we should mobilize behind him because we can really make a push for our eighth Heisman winner. So Kyle Hamilton is listed on uh, a sports book that we can't name uh, as plus 25,000 to win a Heisman. So for gamblers out there, if you bet $1 on Kyle Hamilton to win the Heisman, it would pay out 251. Uh, So he's 25,000 right now. Alternatively, if you go up the leaderboard here, our boy, Jack Cohn, Jackie Heisman's plus 8,000. So uh, that is currently where we're at there. That's $1 to win 81 and 100 to win 8,000. Uh, so you have Jack Cohn plus 8,000, Kyle Hamilton plus 25,000. 
Uh, so yeah, that's those are good odds. I kind of I might put a buck on Kyle Hamilton tonight because we can see it, right? If Notre Dame runs the table and Kyle Hamilton has several interceptions and several notable games and he's getting draft hype and no offensive yeah. player takes over, and that's where we're at right now, right? Spencer Radler has not played well. Um, Bryce right. Young, Alabama, has been okay, but he hasn't been the Heisman hopeful. The Ohio State Matt, Matt Corral, no Matt Corral's the only one who jumps out of me, and he's old Miss, and they're going to blow a couple games right. down the stretch. And so Historically, you have to be on a winning team. In fact, the only Heisman winner, or almost Heisman winner on a losing team, I think would have been Joe Theismann. Uh, he yep. finished second. So you got to be a good team to get in the Heisman conversation. And I'm not saying that's fair, um, but there is an aspect of that, and we know Ole Miss will trip up. And Matt Corral... All credit to him. I've been aware of him for a few years now because when I go back and look at you know QBR, which you don't particularly like, he's always scored well. <laughs> he's always been a good quarterback, and right. now we're seeing it flourish kind of in his in his last season there. So if no offensive player takes over, and the Michigan State kid had a good day, game as a running back, but that that's just not something you can rely on in 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 this day. Um, I think Kyle Hamilton could could come up the middle there and steal that narrative. He's going to New York. We know that. And then it's just a matter of what happens once he's in New York. Right. I don't and know then, if that's a reference to the Giants and Jets being awful football teams and we'll draft them. Or if you no, mean that, he's going to go. That's, where the, that's where the Heisman ceremony is. He could also but, go there. But well. low key, it was way funnier if we interpreted that as the Jets and the Giants suck. And he's going to be playing for one of them. Hey, um, maybe both. They'll share them. Uh, but and then real quick, he had that hit on Bell Ball Ball at the end of the game that people were up in arms about calling and targeting. It wasn't targeting. It was a textbook hit. He turned away and for him to turn away like that at the moment of impact, it was such a heads up smart football play. So that that's all. And I hate the internet because people are going to call it targeting. The guy's not even on the injury report this week. I think a tooth went through his mouth and he was a little concussed from bouncing his head off the ground. But other than that, he was fine. So he's playing this week. So glad he's okay. But Kyle Hamilton, great play there. Yeah, well, well said. Um, Unless there's anything else on the game, we can move over to uh, week. uh, I never want to talk about Purdue again. That was too much time on them. Yeah, and their stupid drum didn't get to go to the game, and they're a joke of a football program, and nobody at Notre Dame cares about them. All right, we're good to go. Um, Football predictions. Last week, um, I actually didn't tabulate it. Uh, I think we all did fairly well. Um, I'll update it on Twitter. Let's get into the fourth week of college football and the games to pick. Um, we're starting off with an interesting noon kickoff. Missouri is going to Chestnut Hill to play the Boston College Eagles. Um, P, I, the, before I ask you who you pick, is Phil Dracovic healthy? Because I thought he took a knock. He's done. He's out for the season. I'm hearing. Okay. So that uh, that allows me to make my pick. Um, I'm going Mizzou in that case. Um, I know it'll be a northern environment, but without a quarterback, I do not trust Boston College. So... With Boston College, and this is a shout-out to, uh, to Coach Brad Kelly. Uh, if He'll never listen this far into the podcast, but I will shout him out because he knows what he's talking about there. Uh, they do have a very good backup quarterback here. Grossel, Dennis Grossel, uh, is very good. Uh, he's athletic. Uh, he played a couple games last year. He played this season as well. He was Phil's backup. Uh, he's from St. Eyes in Ohio, so he comes from a football background there. Uh, 
he's a stud. He was all Ohio. Uh, really, he he knows how to play football. He's the first Boston College quarterback to throw two touchdown passes of 50 yards or more since Matt Ryan. So he has a cannon of an arm. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going Boston College with the points and money line. Interesting. Uh, well, that's a point of disagreement, but I, I, you clearly have more insider information than I do. Um, so let's move to the next one. This is uh, almost college football game day. Uh, Texas A&M is going to Arkansas, a ranked matchup there. Um, how are you feeling about this game? I don't know if I've been incepted by Arkansas Twitter or not, because I have a ton of people who follow me from them. Uh, but I'm kind of in on the Razorbacks. Woo pig. Uh, I think Texas A&M is due for a bad game. And I, I was stupid enough to bet against Arkansas against Georgia Southern last week. Uh, they put up points, even though Georgia Southern slowed the ball down. So I like Arkansas to pull the upset here. Five and a half point. Uh, I'll take the spread of money line there too. I'm going two underdogs here. Well, home underdog is always a safe pick. I find, um, here's my issue. I don't think Arkansas is any good. I think they beat a fairly mediocre Texas team. And uh, I just think the Aggies are a good team. Uh, Not maybe quite as good as the ranking would suggest, but I do believe they're a top 10 to 15 team. So I'm going to take Texas A&M to win this game. Um, I could totally see an upset, you know, energized environment, um, a big game for them. But uh, I I just like, I like TAMU or whatever the acronym is for uh, for Texas A&M. Um, Interesting Pac-12 game we got going on. UCLA, who was just upset by Fresno State, is traveling to Stanford to play the tree. Um, Stanford, of course, upset USC on the road at the Coliseum. Um, Just a lot of interesting data points here. Who who do you like in this one? So I've never – I wasn't high on Stanford going into this year. Uh, I had them under four and a half wins. Uh, So we're seeing how that plays out right now. But UCLA – I think they were due for a game like Fresno State. Uh, so I think they they stick it to the Cardinal this week. Yeah, I agree with you here. I think um, as you, as overhyped as UCLA might have been, I still think they're kind of a top 25 team. And I think Stanford isn't. I think Stanford somehow beat USC because USC is always due for a stinker. And it's usually always Stanford early in the season. Um, so I'm taking the Bruins to win. I can't wait for that Trojans-Bruins matchup, even though it's insignificant to the rest of the world. I think it's just interesting to see how that one's going to fly. Um, so, yeah, we're in agreement there. Interesting one down in the Big 12, or the conference formerly known as the Big 12. I, I don't really know the status of of that area. But uh, undefeated Kansas State is going to play undefeated Oklahoma State. Uh, who do you like and why? So... Before the season, I looked at the Big 12, and I said, who who do I like here? And I, I, I like TCU uh, overall as a uh, contender for the Big 12. But then you look at K-State. K-State is my second team in this conference. Uh, I think they have enough to do what they have to do to win this game. Yes, they lost Skylar Thompson, so he's out with a leg injury. Uh, they may not have one of their leading wide receivers. Uh, another one of their quarterbacks might have gone down. So they, they don't have a ton of quarterback depth right now. But Oklahoma State is also out. Braden Johnson and Tay Martin and Desmond Jackson and Jaden Bray. 
uh, and Logan Carter, who's just a straight-up athlete. So they're down three receivers and two running backs. So it's going to be a low-scoring game, but I think Kansas State, just with the pedigree there, has enough to knock off uh, Oklahoma State at Boone Pitching Stadium. Interesting. Um, I'm going with the home team. I like Oklahoma State. I think uh, they're kind of flown under the radar this season. Um, it's going to be a good game. I can totally see that going either way. I just I feel a little more comfortable being the home team there, and it's also the only home game I'm picking uh, for the home team. Um, so that brings us to our last one. Uh, North Carolina is going to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech obviously last week almost upset Clemson. Um, do you think this could be another upset, especially with being at home in Atlanta, or do you like the Tar Heels? <clears throat> so I'm afraid of Georgia Tech. I was watching the game the other night with uh, with Mrs. Wagon, and we're going to the ND Georgia Tech uh, Senior Day game. And I said, holy shit, like, this team is going to be scary that day. It's going to be a war uh, for ND. And I, I do think that they're a better team than what you see on paper. They're one and two right now, but when you look at their schedule, they got it was fourteen eight Clemson. They beat Kennesaw State, so that's barely a game, and they lost to Northern Illinois twenty two twenty one. They're within the score for those two losses. They could be three and zero. The ball goes one different way on both of those plays. They're three and zero, and they're it's a battle against a mediocre UNC team. So I got a I got the rambling wreck here. And I am afraid of what's going to happen on November 20th because I've never seen a game at the stadium and I can't have it be a loss. Well, it won't be. I'm fairly confident. Take a deep breath. I don't need you stressing out, you know, four months in advance. Um, I, I'm going with North Carolina. Um, I just think better team. Uh, Georgia Tech could upset them here, but, but I like the Tar Heels. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about with regard to general college football before we head into our match preview, or are we good to go? Uh, just generally in college football right now, Wake Forest is a interesting team being 3-0 right now. I don't know if it's because of the teams they played, uh, but they are a very interesting team. And then you go to the other side of the ACC, uh, and everyone's mediocre over there. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, season. I would love to see Wake Forest in the ACC championship over Clemson. Uh, and then just from there, I'm not sure if you all talked about it yet, but the, the new conference alignments, uh, I don't like them. I don't love Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Uh, I think it's bad for college football. I think conferences are bad for college football. Uh, but finally, the last point I want to make here is my South Alabama Jaguars out of the fun belt, the sun belt, are 3-0 and and they are rolling right now they beat southern miss 31 to 7 bowling green 22 19 and alcorn state 28 21 it doesn't matter how much they're winning by they're still winning uh they have a bunch of studs on their team and uh be on the lookout for jalen tolbert 14 receptions 317 yards hasn't scored a touchdown this season yet uh because they've only thrown two uh but they are studs the jaguars are winning the sun belt i love it I mean, who else would talk about the Jaguars and the Sun Belt other than our very own Pete Wagon? Gotta be a degenerate gambler to know them. Well, that's well said, and we just did our gambling section. So, um, how about this matchup we got between two Midwest schools? Instead of doing a home and home, we're doing a neutral site. Um, interesting story I recall vividly when this came out. The first game was supposed to be at Soldier Field. Yep. 
and Notre Dame was going to be the away team. It was weird because everyone's like, why would Notre Dame be the away team? And the following one would be at Lambeau, and Notre Dame would be the home team. That is why I believe this game is being played on Fox and not on NBC, even though it is technically now a Notre Dame home game. The reason I think they changed it is because of the missed COVID season, different calculations for home games, and this one just had to be designated a Notre Dame home game. I think Wisconsin also came out with their white jerseys, anticipating that being for Lambeau or whatever. So that they use that. Notre Dame goes with the dark. So it just makes more sense to, for Notre Dame to be the home team. But why else is it on Fox? I don't really know. Uh, noon kickoff. I believe all of us absolutely hate that. Uh, Notre Dame's primetime, baby. We're we're the focus of the sport. And we're on the road. We're primetime. You put us where people are going to watch us. So it's an insult to our tradition and our, our culture. This is, uh, it's offensive as a Notre Dame fan to equate us with that Big Ten nonsense. Um, that aside, Soldier Field, college game day, ranked matchup between 12 Notre Dame and I believe 18 Wisconsin. Yep. Um, what are your early impressions of the Badgers this season, obviously with that early, early season loss to Penn State? They suck. Interesting. <laughs> there you go. So I... I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I hate Wisconsin. I'm going to tell you a story before I get into why. Uh, And this is going to be impartial. I'm going to tell you why I hate them. Then I'll be impartial with why I think they suck. Uh, So I played college football at a very small Division III school. Uh, I'm not the tallest. I wasn't the biggest. And my history teacher, who was also my football coach, sat me down in his office one day and said, I don't think you should go play college football. And I said... No, I'm I'm going. He goes, no, you should go to Wisconsin and study history. And I said, respectfully, no, I'm going. To why why did he want to send you to Wisconsin? You're not because even I was a from history, there. I was a history nerd, and yeah, he's wanted so me. Wisconsin to go from, have the only history program. Apparently, in the United they States. have a wicked good history program. They also had a very racist rock that got removed from campus two years ago. But I, he wanted me to go from New York to Wisconsin. And I get it was a pipeline because a ton of kids from my high school went to Wisconsin. But the only relevant thing about them is their basketball team and that the fact that they made their whole point of jumping around to House of Pain. Like, fuck them. So I didn't go to Wisconsin. I ended up going to a small school. I ended up winning a national championship in rugby instead of football. But uh, that that's why I hate them. So that that's a little inside inside P Wagon's head. Perfect. Now give us the impartial take. Impartial take. You look at who they played. Wisconsin has Penn State and Eastern Michigan on their schedule. Their stats are fully inflated right now. They're... By the way, I just want to jump in for a second. They have a bye in week four. Well, week three, four, week four. Who puts a bye in mid-September. It feels almost personal at that point. It's like, when are we playing Notre Dame? All right, let's put the bye right before that. It, it, seven, every seven team on the schedule. Yeah. Every team on the schedule until we hit, like, Navy is on a bye before us. Yeah, so, ridiculous. anyway. So, you look at their defense. I think it's totally inflated numbers here. 15th in total yards, 210. 62nd in passing yards. 6th in rushing yards. Yeah, 33 a game. Good. I'm glad you have that. But that's Eastern Michigan. Penn State... Didn't have to run the ball because they threw it all over you. Points. Yeah, that's 11. how Penn State 5. won, right? Yeah, 11.5. You're in the fucking bid 10. There's no points scored over there. They punt, they go three and out, and that's the game. And third down efficiency, 51st. So, yes, they're beating Notre Dame in almost every category. But Notre Dame 
is a much better team than the shit that they've seen from Wisconsin or that Wisconsin have seen. Eastern yeah. Michigan. Let me just get into that one real quick. The mighty Eagles of Eastern Michigan, who they beat 34 to 7. Eastern Michigan beat the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Historically terrible. They beat them. They lost to Wisconsin. And they beat St. Francis. They haven't played anyone either. Yeah, Wisconsin has played shit schools. Penn well, State. Penn, beat Penn State's them. been good. They beat Auburn. I mean, there's but, there's some there's some validity to losing. Yeah, but they can beat a good school, but then they can beat up on Eastern Michigan, yep. who is a moderately terrible MAC school. And so, they lost to Penn State at home. And yeah. the, while the defensive stats may have been impressive, Penn State won that game by airing it out. And yeah. uh, that's where Wisconsin is vulnerable because What's sure, you can, you can look great defensively playing in the Big Ten because you do yeah. what Michigan used to do with Don Brown. You play man-to-man coverage and you stack the box and nobody's moving the ball on you. Clifford went 18 for 33 for 247 yards and a touchdown. Eastern Michigan's quarterback, and I'm not a stat guy, and you know I'm mad when I'm bringing out the stats. They had two quarterbacks. One went six for 13 for 53 yards. Another one four for seven for 23 yards. Why why is Vegas saying Wisconsin's a a five-and-a-half-point favorite? Because they've played a good Penn State team and lost and a bad Eastern Michigan team and won? It doesn't... Fundamentally, it does think, not make sense to me. I think, so The for those not aware, the line opened six and a half Wisconsin, uh, which is surprising um, because, I mean, during this preseason, it was pretty much a pick em. Like, it was yeah. some for Notre Dame, some for Wisconsin. Um, I think, and the line has moved down, so the market is betting it back down towards Notre Dame being a smaller underdog. Um, I think the reason for that is more to do with Notre Dame than Wisconsin. I think... Uh, Notre Dame was punished in the polls. Mind you, neither, Ohio State wasn't for their loss, Clem, for their tight win. Clemson wasn't for barely beating Georgia Tech. Oklahoma wasn't punished. Just Notre Dame was punished for barely beating Toledo. Although, granted, Toledo goes out and loses the next week. So, I mean, there's justification for it. But Notre Dame has not looked good early. I think the Purdue game was different. But because Notre Dame has not been Notre Dame, people are thinking, oh, maybe what people had said about them this offseason was true. And there's just too much to replace. And they just really aren't good. And they're a paper tiger. And wait until they play someone good. The problem I have with that is roster for roster, Notre Dame is better. Notre Dame is a more talented team. I like Notre Dame's coaches more. Um, It's going to be a Notre Dame crowd. I mean, this is Chicago. I mean, even in Green Bay, we'll probably have more fans there anyway. Probably Lambo, one time D. People forget. So I think I think Notre Dame is being disrespected here. Um, we'll we'll get into our predictions in a bit, but it, it is interesting because I don't think Wisconsin has done anything to earn six and a half, obviously now five and a half on on the Irish. Is that kind of where where you think it's gone to? Yeah, it should be a pick'em. I mean, yeah, I have ND in teasers and straight up, and I have I tease them up to twelve and a half just at stealing money. And I got them straight up too. So you look at what Wisconsin has this year. And again, we're going back to player stats. Graham Mertz, 36 for 54, 326 yards, two interceptions, no passing touchdowns. That's not good. And that includes Eastern Michigan. That includes Eastern Michigan. You look at their rushing stats. Their player stats for rushing. They have one running back, 265 yards, two touchdowns. 
the majority of those came against Eastern Michigan. In that game, the player in question, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to, ran for 144 yards. So you figure he ran 144 there, and the, the rest of that one, what's it going to be, 120-something yards against Penn State? Those are mediocre Russian, Russian stats. They haven't seen a team who can pass the ball as well as ND can. I think Graham Mertz is a terrible quarterback. And Wisconsin fans will say, oh, Jack Cohn's a terrible quarterback. Fine. They would they would like to have him right now. But you think. would like to have him over Graham Mertz or Chase Wolf. So that that's where I'm standing there. And Brian Kelly said, oh, Jack Cohn hasn't told us any hand signals. We're not big on that, all that stuff. That's maybe true. I'm not going to call the win, the tide for winning this coach of all time a liar. But Jack knows some things. He's played against that defense before. Maybe not the exact defense, but he's played against some semblance of a first-team defense. He knows where the strengths are. He knows where the weaknesses are. He's going to use that to his advantage. And if Tyler Buckner is healthy and his hamstring's fine, let him run on him a little bit. I think this two-quarterback system is going to be yep. deadly. And I think it's going to play out, too, in this game. Um, interesting, while you were speaking there, I was looking up um, my favorite statistics for quarterback, which is, of course, quarterback rating. Um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I know you're not a stats guy, but you said everything that the stats show, and that is that Graham Mertz is not a good quarterback this season. He His QBR out of, out of 100 is 24.9. That's 111th in the country. That's not good at all. Jack Cohn's not having a great season. He's at 40, 54.6, 72nd in the country. Uh, but, I mean, it's hard to when you're being sacked every 10 seconds. Um, in fact, it's what held him back from being number one in week one against Florida State because he was the number one passing quarterback. Um, so we have the quarterback advantage. We've got two quarterbacks that are really good. They will have the offensive line advantage in this game, I believe. They will run the ball on us. They're going to, and we're going to struggle to run the ball on them. That's just how it's going to be. But I will take that deal any day of the week because I know we can throw it on them. And if we can throw it on them, it's going to be ugly. Now, if it's torrential downpour and we can't even physically throw the ball and we can't run the ball like Michigan circa 2019, then, then yeah, we could get destroyed too. But I'm going to take the team that can throw the ball, and that's Notre Dame. So Irish-Wisconsin all-time, 8-6-2 for Notre Dame. The la they last played in 1964 where the Irish winning 31-17. Midwestern teams, it's a Big Ten team. Not too much history there. But look, the, both sides want to win this one, right? It's Notre Dame. It's, a, it's your Super Bowl. It's a chance to win, no doubt. But for Notre Dame, it's an unusual opponent that's ranked in your second home. Notre Dame's played at Soldier Field many, many times, and they have a phenomenal record there. You kind of got to defend your territory because that's Chicago is Notre Dame territory. You can't lose there. You got to win your recruiting battles there. You got to win your football games there. Um, so I'm getting amped up, Steve P. Um, G, take it away. Like, what, what, what do you got for me in this game? Oh boy, do I ever! Uh, they're not going to be able to grow the grass on Soldier Field. Uh, just to go a little history here, we talked about how I was a history major. 1928, uh, Wisconsin and Notre Dame played each other. It was Newt Rotney versus Glenn Thistlewaite. Thistlewaite, doesn't matter what his name is. Uh, Coach Thistlewaite wanted to slow down Notre Dame's rushing attack, 
So he grew the grass out, much like we would do against Reggie Bush in 2005. Uh, Newt Rockney was not happy. Uh, Newt Rockney demanded the grass be trimmed before the game. Thistlewaite refused. Wisconsin won 22 to 6. I love being petty there, but the tall grass can't happen. Notre Dame will be a faster team defensively than Wisconsin and a middling team offensively. It's going to come down to special teams here. That's my theory. It's going to come down to field position, as every Big Ten team does. And it's going to come down to what we can do kicking and maybe even pull off a return with Kyron Williams now being our returner. So, See, my fear is that we turn into a Big Ten game. That's If you play Wisconsin's game, that's how you lose to them, right? If you get stuck in this run-run try to throw a punt, run, run, throw punt. That can get ugly. I think if you just dictate the tempo, kind of like a fight, right? If you just go in there and impose your rhythm the way you want to play, Wisconsin's not going to keep up with you. Our secondary has been surprisingly good. Our defense we know is good. And here's the thing. We said this last week. Notre Dame plays up and down to their opponents. They've yep. always done that. Um, we'll be seven and five one year and we'll take the number one team right to the brink, right? That year we played Nebraska, number one, Nebraska, and we were awful and we took them right to the wire and we almost won. And then there'll be years where we'll struggle to beat Toledo, right? Like Notre Dame is Notre Dame for that reason. What we have to understand with this game is that they're going to play up for it, right? Wisconsin is a top-tier opponent. Notre Dame has been disrespected by both the, the odds makers and by fans and by the pollsters. It's a statement game. Coach Kelly gets his teams ready for statement games. It's in Chicago. The defense has been improving. The offensive line's been improving. It's, I think, a lot's going right at the right time. And it's, if nothing else, it's just, it's going to tell us what this team is. We're going to learn about Notre Dame. Notre Dame is either going to be a top-five team or they're going, and the, the critics will be right, and maybe Notre Dame isn't. We'll We'll find out soon. And I'm putting my money on Notre Dame. I uh, I know we're biased, but I can reasonably come to that conclusion. Notre Dame is 10-0-2 in games at Soldier Field. The last game they played there was 2012. Uh, pretty good year. I don't know if you remember it. 43 or 41-3 routing of Miami. They've now, never the, lost a the, game at Soldier Field. Is the, oh, so is the two a, a tie or a loss? Because different people put them in different orders. Um, uh, according, so to, according to this research here that yes. I just did as we were talking, uh, the first game that they won was against Northwestern. They beat them 13 sits. Okay. Uh, it looks like, yes, it does look like they are 10-0-2 win-loss draw. That's excellent. Like yes. I said, phenomenal record at Soldier Field history there um it's gonna be a good one and i think if we can come out and not be shy and play them like we played clemson in the first game where we attacked clemson we have an advantage in the air we just do you know we got receivers we got a good quarterback uh, we can get the ball out of the hands quick so the offensive line isn't in trouble we can beat wisconsin wisconsin is not a, an unstoppable team and uh, you know the game plan defensively for, yeah. that Notre Dame needs to enact, right? We know what you know what Wisconsin is offensively. And uh, I'll take the team that can throw the ball over the team that can run the ball any day of the week. And Graham Mertz, again, is not a good quarterback. And if you look at his stats rushing-wise, so really with him, I'm pulling up his stats right now. 
if you get a little pressure on him, he's not going to be able to take it. So overall, just in general, his career, he's only completed. I'm trying to do this math quickly here. He's only completed 63% of his passes all time, 2019 through 2021. He's only thrown nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's not great. And rushing-wise, this year he's negative 31 yards rushing. Overall, he's only had 13 yards. <laughs> so if we get to him, our defense is going to tee off. He is exactly the same thing as Cone, just a little bit shorter, more immobile, and with a worse arm. All Wisconsin quarterbacks are the same. So you look at that, that's kind of where, where I stand there. All right, let's wrap this one up, P, nice and short for the week. Um, obviously, Steve's gone. You're getting married, so big congratulations to you as well. Thank you. Um, give me a score prediction. And Steve and I have been doing this lately. I'm sure you've you've listened. We will pick our scores ahead of the game, and we end up with essentially the same score. I've written mine down, and I don't know what you've got. So why don't you tell the folks at home how you're seeing this game, and we'll see if uh, if you and I are, are kind of got that voodoo going. Let me see what the total is. Jesus. Do you have the total? The over-under? Um, I can have that very shortly for you. I got it right here. So according to my app that I use, yes. we have the over-under at 46.5, with Notre Dame being a 5.5-point dog. I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here because I talked about special teams. It's going to be Notre Dame 25, Wisconsin 21. Okay, interesting. 25 is a, a scoragami number right there. Um, They're going to get a safety in the end zone off a of Jay Bramble punt, and I'm going to be through the moon. And if I don't tweet it right away, I am going to be watching the game on delay. I love it. Um, I think this is a game Notre Dame is going to come up for. They're going to get ready for it. I think it's a game where Notre Dame will have an opportunity to blow them out. And I think if Notre Dame wanted to and really execute it the way they could, this could be a blowout. It's not going to be. I don't see it being a, a blowout. I see it being a close game. I think we will play up to them, but within the game we'll play down to them because I think we'll have chances to put it away. I have the Irish winning 31-24, seven-point game, close but it'll be it'll be very victorious. You'll feel great at the end, and Notre Dame will get back into the conversation for where they belong. Um, I just don't think Wisconsin's got the dynamic type of team to beat Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame loses to one type of team, and that is an all-time great team. That is Alabama. That is Clemson. That would be in Ohio State. Um, Notre Dame does not lose to teams that can only do one thing. And uh, I think that's going to continue. I think they're going to give a good show for the fans. And I think the Irish will once again come out on top. Yeah, I, I think that is the uh, the general consensus there. Uh, I did get a wire into Steve. And Steve has his final score as, drumroll, 23-13. Interesting. Okay. Uh, all of us picking close game. Um, I'd love to see myself be wrong, not in the winner, but in the, in the size margin. Um, but I think that's it. P, do you have anything else before we, we break here? 
be nice to each other on Twitter. Uh, I know that we can sometimes yell at each other, but again, we're just three guys with a Twitter account that like to talk about Notre Dame football. Uh, we're not professionals. None of us went to journalism school. Uh, just, just be nice to each other. And uh, that's all I got this week. Awesome. I love it. It's a positive message. Um, it was my birthday last week, by the way. So that was the most important thing any of the horsemen did um, because uh, Steve didn't get married. No, of course he did. Uh, so we wish him the best, Mr. and uh, Mrs. whatever Steve. their last name is. Yeah, Steve, we don't want to give anything away. Um, very happy for those folks. Very happy for you. You're getting married. So you know what? Rate us, you know, give us a five-star review leave a nice little comment you know maybe even congratulate someone on getting married uh, we appreciate it we appreciate listener support if you reach out that way um, and we're looking forward to yet another week of notre dame football and uh, we look forward to having you guys next week when we get to bloat and gloat about a big notre dame victory go irish go irish <laughs>